Our scripture passage this morning is from Psalm 19. Wonderful psalm for us. Page 456 in the Bibles, church Bibles in front of you. Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I certainly need God's help as I preach, and we need God's help as we open up God's word to understand it and apply it rightly. So let me pray for us as we do that. God, we do ask for your help by the power of your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts, to understand your word, that we might treasure it and rightly receive it and respond in it in obedience and faith, knowing that you have given us this gracious gift. And so help us to receive it even this morning. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder what is on your reading list here in 2020. If you're like me, you receive some books over the holidays and you're thinking through uh, at what pace you can read through these books. Or maybe you've looked at some of the blogs online and one of the, the, the repeated taglines is best books of 2019. And you're wanting to pick one of those up and read it. Or even especially this year, you're thinking back on those blogs that say best books of the decade. I wonder what the list would be if we compiled a list of the most influential books of the last decade, the most important books in the last decade, your favorite book over the last decade and how that has impacted you. Well, books were written for a purpose and their words and their, their message, they're intended to elicit a response from the reader. And there are two books that we're going to talk about today that demand our attention and our reflection. And these two books, when rightly received, they're going to change the landscape of your soul. And they're going to change the trajectory of your life. 
See, Charles Spurgeon, he describes Psalm 19 as the reflections of David after he studied God's two great books, creation and the scriptures, the book of creation and the book of the scriptures, the world book and the word book. And God is the masterful author and the magnificent artist behind these two most important and most influential books of all time. And God uses these books to reveal himself to us and to guide us and to instruct us and to lead us. But the problem is that many reject their messages. The implication of Psalm 19, though, is that those who neglect God's revelation, it's a fuel for a life of rebellion to God. Neglecting these books fuels ignorance of God. Neglecting these books hardens our heart to God. Neglecting these books mean that we will lack true wisdom in life. We will be dominated by sin and we'll live a life that pleases ourselves. But a lifetime of receiving God's revelation rightly It fuels a life that is pleasing to God. Rightly receiving the book of creation and rightly receiving the book of the scriptures is going to lead us to a right acknowledgement of God, our creator. We will gain wisdom and be spiritually softened to the things of God. And we'll be strengthened against sin and strengthened to serve God. I wonder how you're sitting here this morning. Maybe you're wanting to make a fresh start with God in 2020. You walked in these doors and you're looking for some guidance. You're looking for some instruction. Or maybe you're, you're wearied from a life of following God and you're wondering, is this worth it for me? How can I keep going in this direction? Or maybe you're doubting God's existence. You're doubting God's goodness in the midst of something you're going through. And you're questioning where you might turn Well, the truth is that Psalm 19 is is bringing to the surface is that God graciously uses creation and uses his word to reorient our heart and our life around him. And in Psalm 19, there's there's the most eloquent and poetic words that, that, that we will find. They're intended to stir up our own reflections, stir up our our own desires here and meditations. And it points us to, to three simple realities that are going to fuel a life that is pleasing to God, reorienting our heart, reorienting our life around God. Three simple realities. First thing is reflect on God's handiwork. We'll see David do that very thing, reflecting on God's handiwork. The second thing is treasuring God's holy word. David treasures God's holy word and he talks about the impact of that. But lastly, that moves to these last couple verses of of praying for God's help. Pray for God's help with a humble heart. Three simple realities coming from Psalm 19 that will fuel us to live a life that is pleasing to God in 2020. So verses 1 to 6, turn with me there. First, reflect on God's handiwork. Reflect on God's creation Listen to how David describes the skies. The heavens are declaring. The sky proclaims. It pours out speech. Their voice goes throughout all the earth. The words to the end of the world. The best way David can describe the heavens as he looks up and sees them is that they are announcing something. They're announcing 
the glory of God to all people. Why should we reflect on God's handiwork? Well, God uses his creation to awaken in us an acknowledgement of his glory. He wants to awaken us in 2020 to his glory as we turn and reflect on what he has made. And this proclamation from the skies, it's continual night to night, day to day. It is constant. It is continual, but not only continual, it's, it's universal. It reaches all, all across the world. This proclamation that creation is giving, particularly the skies as we look up and see it. No one is excluded. No one is beyond its reach. And all walk underneath the skies above them and have access to God's great handiwork. And it's shouting to us of God's glory, the glory of their maker. When I was in college, I went to South Africa and I went to Cape Town on a missions trip. And the missionary there took us up to Table Mountain. Beautiful sight. 3,000 plus feet up in the air. We're looking out over Cape Town. We're looking out over the ocean. Our heads are literally in the clouds, in the skies. The sun is beaming down upon us. All of us are awestruck at what we are seeing. We don't quite have words to say as we're looking at the scene that we see up on Table Mountain. And then I turn and I see this boulder. And on this boulder is this plaque that reads this. Oh Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. God's creation. God's skies. That day. His handiwork. It was shouting to me. It was screaming to me of the glory of God. The proclamation of the skies in verses 1 to 4. But David continues on at the end of 4 through verse 6 to give us a unique illustration. The illustration of the sun. And he's reflecting on the beauty of the consistency of the sunrise and the sunset. Each morning the sun bursts forth metaphorically as if coming out of a tent with great joy. The joy of a bridegroom on his honeymoon. And and traveling throughout the world like a warrior or like a runner, the sun accomplishes its purpose. Traveling throughout the earth to touch every square inch and every human soul. None are hidden from the sun's heat. You know, people travel a long way to see man's handiwork, to see creations of, of, of man. Let me me give you a little secret. Nobody's traveling to see my handiwork. Let me give you an example of that. My mom gave me a little box with my pieces of art when I was younger. And she pulls one of them out and says, Ben, look, look, look at this. This is great. Look what you made in third grade. And I said, looked on the back and said third. I said, Mom, that's third period my senior year of high school. (laughs) Nobody's traveling to see my handiwork, let me tell you. But think of the Mona Lisa, one of, one, of, one of the best pieces of art people say that has been made. Ten million people travel to see that work of art each year. But here's the thing. Ten million people is less than one percent of the entire population. That's the reach of man's handiwork in a year. God's handiwork reaches every soul in all of creation. No one's hidden from its heat. Everybody sees it. Everybody has access to the skies, to God's work 
of art. So what are we to do with David's reflection? It's proclaimed God's glory constantly. It's proclaimed it universally and it's been proclaiming it throughout all of history. So how are we to respond to this reality here? Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 picks up this language in David's reflections and and he teaches that God has made himself known through creation. His invisible attributes are reflected, namely his divine power. They've been clearly perceived, his divine nature, from what has been made ever since the beginning of creation. And all people, Paul argues, are without excuse. And he's arguing that the response that all are to have in light of God's creation is to acknowledge their creator, to honor their creator, to give thanks to their creator, namely worship God. But Paul goes on to say, instead of acknowledging God and honoring God, humanity naturally suppresses this knowledge, closes their ears, and exchanges the glory of the creator for the creature, for man-made idols with no life and no life-giving power. The sun, the moon, the stars, and the skies, all of creation, it's designed to speak to your soul and to my soul of the glory of God. I wonder this morning if you've been muting the message of creation. Have you been muting the message of creation? Paul says that those who mute the message of creation, they are those who are going to live a life that is serving themselves. They're gonna live the way of a fool. They're gonna live a life of jealousy. They're gonna live a life of sexual immorality and deceit, a life of disobedience. Do you come here engrossed in some form of sin here this morning? Well, the core reality is that you in your own heart are not acknowledging God, the God of glory above you. There's a worship problem. And Psalm 19 is pointing us to this reality. Do you want to live a life that pleases God? Reflect on his handiwork. Reflect on it every day. Allow creation to awaken your soul to God's glory. You see, as we look out at the sun, the other services, the sun hasn't been shining, but now the sun's coming out and I'm looking out here. That's a great thing. As we look up at the sun, the sun is to to really put God in his rightful place. He's the creator. He's the king over all things. And as we look at the sun, it also does another thing. It puts us in our rightful place. We are the creature called to acknowledge him and look to him, the giver of all things. Will you reflect on God's handiwork this year? Well, David moves from the revelation of God's glory in the skies and he moves the, to, to the transformation of God's people through the scriptures, looking at verse seven through 11 here. It's David's call to treasure God's holy word, not just reflect on God's handiwork, what he's made, but treasure God's holy word in verses seven to 11. And it's an interesting thing. It's worth noting. In verses one to six, David has described God once and he's used the word El, which is this description, this name of God as the transcendent creator over all. But he shifts six times in verses seven to 11. He uses Yahweh, Lord. Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God the God in relationship with his people, the God who is faithful to his people, who loves his people, who has redeemed his people. 
who knows his people and his people know them. This description of God's word is coming from someone who's in relationship with God. And so he can speak of it as a blessing. He can speak of the benefit of God's word because he knows God. And he knows this reality that it is the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. And this is the word of our faithful God who's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and who will not forget his promises. This Lord is using his word to strengthen his people for a lifetime of serving him. That's what David is proclaiming here about the word of God. And he he puts before us the power of God's word and the value of God's word in verses 7 to 11. Derek Kidner, he's a, Kidner, he's a commentator, and he, he describes this rhythmic repetition that goes on in these verses of 7 through 10. He says that David uses a noun to announce God's word, and that's followed by an adjective to describe God's word, and that's followed by a verb that's, that's detailing the transforming impact of God's word among God's people. And what he, he's seeing here, what David is proclaiming here, is that God's word is trustworthy and true. It is a true authority over God's people. That they are faithful words. They are trustworthy words. They are God's instruction for us. And they are intended to bring about transformation in the souls of man. See, David's experienced this great power of God's word in his own life, and he's, he's putting that experience into words here in verses 7 to 11. I love how Jonathan Lehman, an author, describes God's word. He says, God's word gives life to a church like electricity gives power to a city. Electricity leaves the power plant, buzzes through the power lines, makes its way to the streetlights, the grocery store freezers, the office computers, and the rows of homes. God's word buzzes and hums through people and the local church giving light to their eyes and hope to their hearts. God's word, according to David, has great power, like electricity for a city. It revives the soul. It gives wisdom for the simple. It rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, It endures forever and is righteous altogether. This is what God has given his people so that it might strengthen them. Brothers and sisters, what did you carry in with you today? What weight are you carrying with you? What sin are you bearing as you come through and you sit here in these chairs? What decisions are are consuming you? What's weighing you down? God wants to remind you and remind me of the gracious gift of his word. That gracious gift speaks into all of the cracks, all of the crevices, all of the, the, the nitty gritty of our life and speaks transforming power into that to shape us and change us. Are some of you grieving this morning? Turn to Psalm 23. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn to the end of Revelation. Read these words of hope for our very soul. Some of you doubting this morning? Turn to Psalm 42, 43. Wrestle with the psalmist as he wrestles with God and cries out to God in the midst of his despair. Turn to Paul's letters and see how he applies the gospel to daily life, the transforming power of God's word. 
Well, David describes the power of it, but he also describes the value of God's word in verses 10 through 11. Even in comparison to fine gold, much fine gold, he says God's word is more valuable. Even honey and the honeycomb, what would have tasted good on his lips, his own taste buds, something he longed for, his taste buds longed for. It's greater than that. Remember, I was talking with a high school student one time and, and we were going to celebrate something. And I said, hey, I'll take you out to whatever restaurant you want to. What do your taste buds long for? He said, McDonald's. <laughs> OK, we'll go to McDonald's. It's better than McDonald's. It's better than anything your taste buds would long for. It has more value. It's greater. Is that how you view God's word? Is that how you see God's word here today? April 27th, 1913, the Chicago Tribune wrote an article about a man named William McPherson. And in a horrific accident, he lost his eyesight. He had little feeling in his face and and he lost his hands. And as a new Christian, he was grieved that he could no longer read the Bible. Until one day he heard of a girl who was in the UK who was blind and also lost feeling in her fingers. And and she began to to read Braille with, with her lips. So he was filled with hope that, 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 that maybe again he could start to read God's word because he knew its power and he knew its value. But as he, as he tried to read the braille with his lips, he realized that, that he had lost the feeling and, and he wasn't able to, to, to do it. So he was discouraged again. And then he started to move his tongue along the braille. And he realized even through the pain of that, that he could learn to read the Bible with his tongue. And so over the course of his life, he read the Bible with his tongue and he read the Bible four times through with his tongue. William McPherson, a man who knew the power of God's word and the value of God's word, even at great expense and effort and cost to himself, it was valuable to him. Do you know the power of God's word for your daily life? The value of it? So much so to even make sacrifices to devote yourself to it and know its life-giving power. 2020, will you invest in the scriptures? Devote yourself to them, treasure them so that you might be renewed and guided and strengthened and revived in your soul and gain wisdom to live a life that pleases the Lord. Well, we move to verses 12 through 14, and and there's really a surprise here. It's a surprise because after this poetic, joyous description of God's handiwork and God's holy word, we see David here with a deep awareness of his sin and his weakness. He's reflected on the glory of God. He's experienced the transforming power of God's word and his commands, and yet now he's fully aware of his sinfulness. He says, who can discern his heirs? I love how the NLT puts it. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Isn't that true? David, as as he sees the revelation of God through through the skies and the scripture is, is transforming his own heart, he's convicted of his sin and he knows that there is sin lurking in his heart that he's not quite aware of. 
He knows there's a problem. He knows that in his own life that he has not pleased God the way that he should and the way that he ought. Who can discern their errors and their sins? No one. No one can discern all of them. And so David prays. So David prays in response to this. His heart has been humbled by God's revelation. And he prays to God for help. He prays to God for for help. And what are the specifics of his prayer? In verse 12, he prays for forgiveness. Look with me. He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He knows only the Lord, his rock and his redeemer, can provide him the grace and mercy that he needs. And he knows that within the law that that there were patterns that were established for God's people to, to deal with their sin, but only in a shadowy way. They did not actually fully ultimately deal with sin, but he knew he could turn to God for grace and for mercy. How is it though today, as we have all of the scriptures, the Old and the New Testament, how can we truly be declared innocent, truly be declared pure and righteous for those sacrifices that David would look to were only a shadow. They do not ultimately deal with sin. I was struck by the New Testament, Hebrews chapter one, verses one to three. I'm gonna read that out for you. You can, just, you can just listen to these words as they connect some of the themes that we've been talking to this morning, talking about this morning. Hebrews one, verses one to three say this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The heavens from the beginning of creation have been proclaiming God's glory Jesus steps on the scene and ultimately reveals God's glory to humanity. The invisible God who's been communicating through creation steps on the scene in Jesus and Jesus is the exact imprint in the nature of God, the glory of God seen and walking on earth. God spoke through the scriptures. The author of Hebrews says, now God has spoken through Jesus fully and finally. He is the word of God made flesh. And he lived a life in full obedience, full righteousness, completely pleasing God with all of his life inside and outside, completely righteous, innocent, and goes to the cross to make purification for sins, for sinners like you and like me. How can we be declared righteous and pure and right and innocent? It is by the precious work of Jesus Christ on our behalf at the cross through his death, through his resurrection, that we may know forgiveness. Do you know that forgiveness today? Do you know Jesus today? God's full, final revelation You see, as David is pointing us to God's handiwork, the holy word of God, which which ultimately is humbling us and and, and unearthing in us this, this lurking sin. It is ultimately pointing us to renew our faith again in Jesus Christ, 
the one in whom we can find forgiveness and truly be declared innocent before God. He prays for forgiveness. But not only that, he prays for protection. Keep going with me. Keep back your servant, verse 13, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. You see, the prayer of a humble heart prays also for protection from sin. We must know the forgiveness of our sins, but we also must no longer let sin have dominion over us and live a life of of arrogance to God's ways. But David knows he needs protection from sin because it's prone to have dominion over his life to lead him in a way that is not pleasing to God. So he prays for protection as he's also praying for forgiveness because he knows sin is lurking in his own heart. But he doesn't just pray for these realities of dealing with sin. Verse 14 is this magnificent, wonderful prayer where he is praying for strength to please God. Not just resist sin, not just no longer sin, but actually live in a way that is acceptable, that is right, that is pleasing before our creator and our redeemer. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, David, he's he's praying that, that his heart and his own words, his voice would align with the proclamation of the skies. What have the skies and the heavens been proclaiming? The glory of God. There is a creator. What have the scriptures been proclaiming? The truth of God that transforms the soul. And David wants his words to align with those proclamations so that he may speak of God. How how can our words be pleasing to God in 2020? Speak of God. Tell others of his glory. Speak about his goodness. Speak of his scriptures. At lunch today, talk about the scriptures with one another. How have the scriptures been reviving your soul over the last year? How have they been rejoicing your soul over the last year? How have you received wisdom from God's word over the last year? Speak those words to one another. Speak of the glory of God and the glory of his redemption to those who don't yet know Jesus. Talk. Use your words in the way the skies proclaim, in the way the scriptures tell the story of God's redemption. But may we not be like the Pharisees who honor God with our lips, but our heart is far from God. David knows that it's not just this outer talk, but it's this inner meditation, this inner talk that he is longing for to be pleasing to God. For us, how do we, how do we please God with our, with our heart and our meditations of our heart as we, as we continue to trust in Christ? We continue to, to think about and dwell on, on, on the things that are right and good and honoring as we see in Scripture. It's David, he, he prays for strength to please God with his words, with his heart, with his life. So here we have Psalm 19. What a psalm. And we're called to reflect on God's handiwork, what God has made. We're called to treasure God's holy word. And God uses that to humble us so that we might cry out to him for help. And all of that so that we might live a life to please him and honor him. So that our words and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable to him in his sight. College Church 2020 has arrived. 
the roaring 20s are back. And may this not be a decade where it's just about economic, financial prosperity. But may this be a decade where College Church is known for and marked by a church that lives their life to please their creator and their redeemer. That they're marked by daily reflecting on what God has made. Daily treasuring the word of God. Daily humbly asking God for strength and for forgiveness and for mercy and protection. May that be so of us in 2020. Let's pray. God, we come before you and uh, we do thank you so much for, uh, for Psalm 19. A needed word for my soul, a needed word for us as a church. And I pray that it would reverberate in our own hearts and minds and lives and conversations uh, into the next uh, hours and days and, and even into this next year. That it might be fuel for us to live a life that is pleasing to you. So help us, God. We turn to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.